Let's do this. Recording is in progress. I like it. Hey, uh, Gabriel. Do you go by Gabriel or Gabe? Gabe. Um, I vacillated when I was young, whatever I thought would get me the most women, but um, Gabe. <laughs> Gabe works. <laughs> Gabe, welcome to your very first podcast appearance. I love this. This is great. Right. Welcome to the Protectors, man. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Jason, man. Really appreciate it. Being- I, I love talking kids. I love talking and I don't mean it like that, but I mean like developing right. kids and I, especially people coming from a military background that go out of their way to, you know, talk about raising good kids and not just being like that absentee parent and saying, Hey, you know, go read this book, go do this, go, go look at your right. iPad for an hour or two and just leave me alone. So let's get your 30,000 foot overview about like your background and stuff like that. Very impressive background. I was taking a look at your bio and stuff, but let's hear it from you, man. Um, yes. Yeah, so background is a bit different than most. So I'm, uh, I'm third from a family of eight. Um, we lived all over the world, uh, raised as Christian missionaries, although unbeknownst to me at the time, um, both my parents were Jewish and they, you know, they got married and, uh, you know, in the sixties era and, um, raised us all in that way. So anyways, lived in over 30, some countries by the time I was 12 years old, came back to the States, 12, 13, um, went to high school. And um, it was a culture shock for sure. Um, chaotic family life, as you might imagine. Um, so lived on my own when I was about 15 and um, no guidance, uh, direction, money for college. Uh, that made me uh, join the army, right? So uh, I wanted to be a fireman. And uh, that's kind of, you know, how that well, went. Let's, let's backtrack to that 30 countries, man. Yeah. That's, you know, and, and being a missionary too, kind of puts you in these weird situations where like, okay, your mom and dad are doing this, but you're kind of doing your own thing. And it's like, wow, um, where am I at? Where are we at this month? Or Because right, 30 yeah. is a lot, man. It's a lot, yeah. So um, the the most fun way to go down that list is eight kids where we all were born, right? So Oh, yeah. All, yeah, so all born abroad of U.S. parents, so we're all citizens, right? But um, oldest one was born in Cyprus, then Iran. I was born in Greece. We have... Uh, Tunisia, France, Malaysia, Bangladesh, and uh, the last one was born in San Diego. So <laughs> Iran, what year was that, man? Iran, that was, oh, let's see, so 76, uh, 74, 74. It was, my parents have some crazy stories about that time because it was trying to get out of Iran with a, a boy. So my older brother's 13 months older than me, trying to get out of there at that time. It was, um, yeah, very hard. Uh, they didn't want to let them leave saying he was, you know, an Iranian citizen and uh, I had to stay. Um, so, yeah, there, there, there's a lot of crazy stories. You know, um, I don't know that I would have it any other way how I was raised. Um, you know, some of it was a little harrowing at times. And uh, but, you know, um, schooling, for example, you know, we we were taught how to read and write, you know, and um, with so many kids and just being really busy, we were, uh, you know, given books and said, you know, learn it and read it. And we did. And, uh, yeah, it was different back then, man. Cause I, uh, you know, I, I grew up, I was born in the seventies, grew up in the eighties mostly. And back then there wasn't no like, Hey, here's an iPad. It was go read a book. I read so many books back then, man. 
and videos and, you know, like watching three channels on TV or one channel, whatever, whatever we could kind of turn the antenna to get to. Right. But yeah, right. man, it was, it's kind of like, like our parents were probably the same type of people where it was like, you're, you know, you do your thing, just leave me alone and let me do my thing. Right. Exactly. And, and some of us, you know, um, nature versus nurture, right. I mean, you know, some of us, um, took a path and some of my siblings took different paths, you know, and some that I don't agree with or, but it's, it's, um, we, we were all given, you know, regardless of what religion you are raised in, that's where you get your morals and values yeah. from. So we all had the same morals and values that were instilled in us. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just, what did you want to do with it? You know, or did you want to yeah, apply it and such? And I'm, I'm not saying that I was a, a perfect one because I certainly had my, you know, uh, moments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and that's, you know? yeah. And thank God for the army, <laughs> you know, man, you know, it's, uh, you get that kick in the butt, but you get focused, man. You get focused. Once you learn like what a mission is, you're like, yeah. huh, you know, you get turn life into a mission, man. And, and op orders right. and, and everything else and planning out your day, planning out your five years or three years next week, your next meal, anything comes down to like a mission, man. Yeah. And, you know, so you do your, your 30, but 30,000 foot overview of you is you moved a lot down, man. And then you get into your army. So let's talk about that. You had a, a very impressive background and let's talk about what you initially joined for and why. So what I joined for and why I stayed, uh, two different things, right? So I joined because I mean, you know, touched on it, right? Like we're, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? I didn't even know how to find a college. Right. So that's why I joined initially. Um, you know, so it was funny. I was actually talking to someone uh, yesterday at, at work. Um, I, uh, showed up to the, to the, uh, MEP station and told the recruiter, I was like, I want the highest medical job you guys have in the army. And he was like, medical specialist, you know, like, yeah, it sounds that. good. <laughs> yeah. Like that's the best thing. Go, that's, that's the best thing. Right. So, you know, go in there, go to basic training, go to AIT and, um, you know, they're like, all right, combat medics, you know, go over here. And I was like, where the medical specialists go. Right. And, you know, that was my first, uh, awakening, you know, and, um, it all worked out well, you know, so like I had to drive to do some things. Right. So they told me, well, if you want to go in the hospital, you should be, or if you want to go up the hill at, in uh, San, uh, uh, Fort Sam, they call it up the hill where you had higher medical training. Right. They're like, if you want to go up the hill, you should be distinguished on a graduate. And then you get to choose whatever you want to do. And I was like, done, right? So I did that. And they were like, ha ha, psych, no, you're still going to, uh, to a line unit because we need good medics in a line unit, right? So um, went to Fort Lewis. That was my first spot and um, was in a line unit for a while. Then, you know, then was in a forward support battalion. So I got to drive the ambulances versus, uh, you know, march alongside them and stuff. So that was good. And still, you know, at the time, I mean, like that's those, those four or five years, that was like some of the best times of my life, you know, living in the field and living the suck. And it, it was peacetime at the time. Right. So that was, I joined in 94. Um, so I went from an E1 to an E5 and, um, you know, it was just, it was good, but I was, I was getting ready to get out of the military. And then I realized, well, you know, I had three credit cards so I could buy rims for my little car. I had no money. I didn't do any, you didn't save anything, you know, didn't go to college. And that was a little awakening sort of at the same time where we got, uh, we got a new platoon sergeant who was at the 275 Rangers. He came over and he saw me one day and decided that he, I was going to be his project. And, um, it, uh, 
he he was instrumental him and several other good good men instrumental in essentially like taking me from boyhood to manhood well that's uh, you know that's a great thing about the nco core is if you get a great mentor it's man. like having that supplemental father i had the same right. thing i had an nco and we're still in contact now and it's just mm. very very instrumental in getting you to that next level of responsibility right and that's the thing i mean um both with discipline and responsibility it's you know those that that dichotomy there of you know holding you accountable and you're disciplined when you you know blink the wrong way but also the very next minute it's like hey private or you know specialist you're in charge of this whatever right two million dollar piece of equipment and i'm gonna hold you accountable for it and man all of a sudden your chest kind of rises a little bit and you want to i don't say please that guy but you know you you want to do a good job and um so yeah so uh that really helped um and then you know then it was time to what am i going to do am i going to stay in am i going to get out um and i was you know i was looking at okay i could be an emt and i was looking at what they made around the late 90s and i was like well, that's not really cool um so they, then i uh, applied for the amen commissioning program um got into that uh, and uh you know as soon as i got in there you know um I, it was a to be a, a nurse right the amen commissioning program and very quickly you know i was like hey Medics do these great things. Imagine what a nurse would do, you know, in the field. And it's not and what you think, right? Because no. you're not in the field, right? So um, very quickly, I try to change that. And they're like, no, we need you guys. And then I found out about being a CRNA or a nurse anesthetist. And um, I was like, man, I'm going to do that. Um, met some cool people along the way. And they kind of hinted at there might be a really cool unit um, at Bragg, um, basically the medical component of JSOC. And uh, all of a sudden that became my, you know, short-term, mid-term, long-term plan. I was like, that, that that's what I'm going to do. So I worked really hard to try to, you know, make that happen. Um, you know, choosing Bragg as my first duty station after, after uh, anesthesia school when no one wanted to go there. And I was like, the proximity, I, I, I'm going to go there, right? And uh, so it was good. It, uh, I can imagine people who were getting that type of degree and that specialty was, it's huge. I mean, and to go to a, like a Bragg or something, it's probably like, people are like, what? what's right. up with this dude <laughs> right. exactly yeah it was like a um you know it's a, we had like you know 50 students right and this big old blackboard of all the places you could go and it's like all right who wants to go where and i was just waiting for my turn you know and then i was you know no one was writing brag right and i was like oh dude yeah I can, i'm going to brag you know and anyways it was uh it was yeah, good it worked if, out well yeah some people are like oh, i'll go to colorado monterey you know <laughs> right. people writing, yeah, exactly colorado fort sam you know because we were there and they wanted mm -hmm. to stay um, uh, Fort Lewis, uh, Colorado, you know, yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, Bragg was uh, more than happy to take me and, uh, it was good. You know, like I, I knew some of the guys there already and, um, you know, I had been enlisted, right. So I had a few tabs on my chest and, uh, um, not my arm, you know, um, aerosol, uh, EFMB, mm -hmm. things like that. And, um, yeah, so, uh, I, I kind of carried myself, you know, any officer who was enlisted before you sort of carry yourself a little bit differently than the, the brand new Lieutenant, you know, mm -hmm. um, like, you know, that was, that was how I was viewed and how I carried myself. And, um, you know, it worked out, you know, I had to work hard, obviously. Right. So, you know, I was like the number one, maybe number two in my class by the time I graduated and I just kept my head down and worked hard and, you know, it was personable and I was single at the time. So, you know, it was, you know, play hard, work hard. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and uh, it was good, you know. Brag is a is its own, you know, ecosystem <laughs> of of. Uh, I'm, I'm sure. 
Yeah. It was so uh, when you um you do multiple deployments, I read that, and you know, you have a, a, a diverse background, and then you you come up, your retirement comes up. Why did you make the decision to step off? Did you have to uh, retire? Or was it one of those things where no, right? So it was a it was a uh, I had about three, four years before retirement, um, training for one of the deployments, um, in Bragg with the unit, um, had a, a pretty bad parachute injury. Um, the, you know, uh, for, for guys who've jumped before, basically I was a pendulum, um, me and another guy right in front of me. Um, anyway, so he, he got a head injury. I smashed my pelvis, um, split my, you know, symphysis pubis and, um, sheared off a branch of uh, artery in my pelvis that just bled like a sieve. So anyways, long, long recovery. I had just got married a few months prior to that. Um, long recovery as in like a month in the hospital, you know, nine months in a wheelchair. Wow. I ended up getting a clot in my lungs from that and just things and, you know, a lot of surgeries and stuff. Um, big old scar, which makes it cool. But anyways, so that, you know, I'm sitting at, I think, uh, 16 or 17 years at that point, And I'd always, I was like, no, I'm going to retire from the army. Um, they let me stay in the unit. You know, everyone was going halo at that time to support who we were supporting. And, um, the, 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 uh, the, um, the deal was that I wouldn't have to go halo, but if we had to do a mission, then I would have to tandem with somebody. And, you know, the thought of a tier, you know, tier one operators beard tickling my ear on the way down, it was not <laughs> very good, but I wanted to stay in. Right. So anyways, fought through that recovery, stayed in, um, and that's kind of like the genesis of how the whole book and everything started. But, um, essentially, yeah, imagine, yeah I was yeah. going to say, imagine like all that time laid up, where's your, where's your mind going and how did you keep the, the right battle space? Um, it was, it was difficult. So I would say about half of the time, about half of it. I, I wouldn't say, I just don't remember. I was on a lot of meds to, uh, you know, deal with pain and such like, and things like that. Um, uh, I, I wanted to get back to the unit and do that mission. Um, that was my big thing. Um, I didn't want to, I didn't want to get out of the army. I didn't want to, um, stay in the army and do a regular, you know, command position somewhere, go to a regular hospital in AMED. And so, um, essentially in my, my, uh, the unit at the hospital was great. They were like, take all the time you need. They're like, just work out every day, get fit, come in and do some anesthesia, keep your skills up. And so basically I'd show up in the morning, do a case or two or assist in a case or two in a wheelchair or a walker. I go to physical therapy for two hours. Then I'd go to the gym and, you know, at that time I could do, you know, chest and dips essentially. Right. Because, you know, the whole bottom portion wasn't working. Um, so that, that, uh, you know, I just wanted to stay in shape you know, and if you can imagine, so I, right now I walk around at about 195, 200 pounds. I was down to about 140. I mean, oh, just, wow just real skinny, you know, lost a lot of muscle mass. My wife, who I, you know, like I said, I just got married. So we got married. Uh, we met after a, uh, one of the deployments, right. Where you're doing two a days and you're nice and tanned and stuff. And, um, you know, several months later, I'm all, you know, grumpy with the bedpan, and, uh, you know, but anyways, oh, she stuck man. with me and I am super lucky. Um, so yeah, so, but yeah, it was just, it was just trying to work through it and stay in. Um, we also, wanted to have kids and, you know, being that, you know, destroyed the midsection, there was um, a lot of surgery and trying to make sure. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. It does. You know, we, we had four kids after that. So, um, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was trying to, trying to keep my mind busy. Um, I bought a bunch of books on reloading and 
reloaded for a while. Um, then, well, you know. thank God you did do that because <laughs> with the way ammo prices are, I know, right? So, you know, writing books and writing children's books is a little bit different. You know, I looked into, you know, I wrote a couple, but I, I thought about writing a, a, a children's book at one time, but I'm like, it's not what you think. It's not yeah. just throw a bunch of pictures in there and hey, everything's going to be good to go. You know, obviously, you know, I, I with my kids, I my son and daughter, I read the Jocko books to them or gave them the books. We need more books like that where that's kind of like instilling types of, you know, value. Not you're not instilling it through books, but you're showing them what's out there. Yeah. So let's talk about the book. Maintain eye contact while shaking hands. A message to boys on being a man. Yeah, so I started writing that book on one of the deployments after my wife was pregnant with her first son. And, um, you know, nightly missions and missions and such, um, I would just write letters home. And part, part of those letters um, were notes to him. Like, this, this is what you do. This is how you be a man. Um, and then I'd, you know, go back to talking to the wife and stuff. So um, I'd come home and then I'd deploy again and I'd write more. And, you know, this went on and on until, you know, I uh, retired from the army, um, you know, several kids in between and then another boy afterwards. Um, and so, you know, I decided, okay, it's going to gather it all together. And essentially it was in, initially just for my kids. And then as I was doing, I was like, this is great. I need to just, you know, make it uh, more public. Right. So, yeah. So as a subtitle states, right. So this book is a message to boys on being a man. So there's full page illustrations and they're accompanied by bite-sized lessons that are easy. Well, to let's, follow. you know, let me give a little quick uh, overview. I'll read the bio yeah, for yeah. people out there. Well, not the, I don't know what you call it. The, uh, the preview of it. Sam wakes up early on July 4th to the news that his dad is getting ready to deploy again. They spend an action packed day together, learning life lessons along the way about being a man. How will Sam harness his unique impulses and strengths to deal with an aggressive bully? Will he work hard and persevere when faced with adversity? How should he handle an accidental accidental punch during a battle royale wrestling match? I like it. That's the kind of stuff that these are like the little lessons. And, you know, my my son just became a teenager this year. And I think about like these are like the little things. I'm, you know what? I always try to teach him like, OK, someone's bullying someone else at school. You should do this. Yeah. Um, your accidents happen. He was telling me about that today. He said he was playing flag football. A kid hit him on a shoulder and he fell over. But the way he said it was like, yeah, I knocked a kid over. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, what happened now? But no, I mean, these are the type of lessons that, you know, you don't as a parent, you know, this and as parents out there, you kind of you do what you have to do to raise the kids, you know, right. to to be in a really good person. But it's great to have books that you can like say, hey, you know what? Um, maybe the dad is getting deployed. Maybe the mom is getting deployed and you have books available for the kids to read you to read to the books and stuff. It's really cool, man. Yeah. Let's talk about the development process of, of getting your words to paper that actually tells a compelling story. And believe it or not, children's books are very tough to write. Um, agreed. And, um, I'm glad you said that because, you know, starting out, I was like, this is easy, right? Put it all in. Um, and then you realize you have to find that balance of one, how many words are you going to put in there? And then even if you're writing it for a 10 year old or eight year old, um, where it has, you know, more words, the amount of words in a children's book compared to an adult book, right. Uh, much less. So every word counts, um, every syllable, you know, and are you going to make it rhyme and how is that going to work? Um, so that was a big, you know, like, 
I didn't want to waste any lines. And I'm not saying it's the perfect book out there, but I think it's pretty awesome. Um, you know, and how, how the, you know, I, I probably don't sound like it right now, but I learned a lot about poetry and stanzas and, um, you know, the first part of the sentence versus the last and how you want them to bounce on each other and stuff. So that was just the, the, the brass tacks of actually writing it. Um, I had a, you know, I, I deployed with the State Department a couple of times as a civilian and I had some great friends out there who had kids and I was like, hey, read this. Right. And they would read it and say, this is a great book about how to be a good person. And they're like, is this really what you wrote to your son? And I was like, well, no, I wrote a lot of other things to him, but I can't put that in a book. And why not? Right. So this book isn't I, I, this book is for everybody. It should be for everybody. I can imagine that some people, because it uses the word man and espouses traditional values that, you know, they don't appreciate it. Um, but that's actually how I raise my kids. I raise them to be protectors, providers, heroes, you know, be courageous, um, tell the truth, you know, all those things. And um, so, you know, nothing in the, nothing in the book I would say is really shocking, but maybe something that you just haven't, you know, some parents or a lot of people maybe haven't thought of. And when they read it, you know, I want them to think like, that's great. Yeah. You know, like that is what I should be telling my son um, or kids. Right. But this is, this is for boys, especially right. To raise them to men, considering everything that's going on right now in society. Um, that's why, I, you know, geared it towards the boys specifically. And, you know, you have a, a very interesting, you know, perspective on it having grown up in different different cultures a lot of different cultures man even at such a young age it's still such an impression on you and then now raising and then going on to the military where there's a completely different culture set and especially that not even counting the deployments but just the people you're in there with it's very uh it's very i'm sure it's a very introspective book and you have a, a very diverse background outside of that a lot of personal stuff and one of the things i saw was like a beekeeper <laughs> right. Uh, what's up with B? Do they sting? Or are these non-stinging? I, I always wonder. No, they do. Yeah. So um, I've been in Texas for about four years, but before that we were in Washington state and um, I had a little 15 acre old farmstead and um, I was like, you know, what? I'm going to keep some bees and that'll keep me busy because the, you know, kids wanted an animal. And I was like, Hey, bees, you know, you can, 10 of them can die a day and you'll be fine. Um, no, they sting a lot. My wife has some great videos and um, pictures of me just running around the property with hives chasing me because, you know, I oh, had some training with some old guys and they were like, no, nah, you just wear shorts. And I was like, yeah, watch me. And I just put on shorts and yeah, it doesn't really work. <laughs> oh my gosh. But, so uh, how does it, how long does it take to get honey? Um, so it takes, so Washington state was very different than Texas. I haven't started in Texas yet because we just moved to a house and, but it's the plan, but Essentially, if the weather is under 55 degrees, the bees stay in the hive, right? So Washington State, essentially, they all stayed in the hive. You have about three or four months during the summer to grow your hive to about 60,000 bees. A full hive is about the size of a five-gallon Home Depot bucket, you know? Um, so the bees, they all, you know, bees have a lifespan of 23-ish days, right? So when everyone's like, oh, the bees are dying, well, yes, they naturally die, you know? So anyways... Yeah, you, uh, you know, you feed them, you water them, and you keep them warm during the summer without opening the thing, the, um, the hive. And uh, throughout the summer times, um, when the nectar starts flowing, you get about a month or two where they build their brood. And then they start going higher and higher and higher for more space. And that's when you, you know, you see the hive. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And so the, the queen stays down in the bottom and just makes all the, the, the brood down there. And then up there, they're just, they're saving honey for the winter. So you take a little bit at a time and you put an empty box back up and they build more honey. Um, so it was great. And, uh, um, you know, I don't have any any financial thing with this particular company, but there's a company in Australia that makes the the extraction of honey just super simple by turning a key. And that came out right. You know, I was like one of the early adopters on on one of their uh, fund me campaigns, you know, and so I didn't have to do the whole spinning. Yeah, mess. I just kind of put a jar underneath it and turned it, got honey and brought it inside and had pancakes. I mean, it was amazing. Oh, so. I've always been trying to figure that out, man. That's awesome. Yeah, so easy, <laughs> so easy that way. But it's fun, you know. It's fun, Gabe. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about the book and talking about your background and everything. I definitely want to have you back on, do a little round table, get some medical people, get some JSOC people, yeah. just get some people in chat. But where can we find the book? I know I'm on your website, Gabe Wander, G A B E W A N T E R dot com. Yeah. Or you know what? Let's do this: Golf Alpha Bravo Echo Whiskey Alpha November Delta Echo Romeo dot com. Whoa, little phonetic alphabet there. And I was an infantry that. officer, so I mean, I'll, I'll give it to that. But yeah. is that where we pick up the book, or we pick it up anywhere else? Yeah. So um, going to GabeWander.com, dot com, there's a buy now button there, and it just takes you right to the um, uh, uh, publication. Or not the publication. The uh, why am I blanking on this? Oh, uh, the checkout. Yeah, the checkout. Right, right. Um, so, anyways, yeah, publisher's website. I'm sorry. Yeah, takes you right to the publisher website. Buy it right from there. It's also on um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble's um, hard copy and uh, ebook uh, format as well. Yeah, the the publisher has got some very impressive uh, publications coming out of there. So, but everybody definitely check out Gabe Wander. Are you doing any social media or anything like that? I am. Yeah. So um, on Instagram, I'm at uh, Major Gabe, and uh, it's. Uh, Major Gabe. Major Gabe. Yep. Yep. And um, that's, yeah, that's basically where I'm at there. Um, life keeps me really, really busy. So, you know, I post maybe once every week or two and such, and there's a lot of, you know, there's guns and family and kids uh-huh. and, out and, you know, pictures of our little farm or little new house here and such. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's good times on there, but yeah, I'll, I'll post some things on there, some stuff about the book and just, you know, how I raise my kids and, or I try to raise my kids and being intentional and things like that. So very cool. So everybody check out the book. I'm going to get a copy because I have a, I'm going to show Gabe, but everybody else has seen it, but all the authors that come on a show, I, I have this huge bookshelf behind oh, yeah. me and that's just all the authors on the show, not including my own personal books, which I probably need to make a library someday, but I definitely have to, I'm going to pick up your book and throw that sucker on the shelf after I read it. Yeah. And well, I'm going to send it to you. I have one sitting right up here. That's my book right there. I think it has, you know, to, to Jason Piccolo on it. That's really cool, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's already signed and everything. So yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. I'll get with you and, uh, afterwards and, uh, yeah, I'll send it to you, man. Everybody make sure you check out GabeWander.com. And I'm not going to do that phonetic thing again, because I could do it (laughs) once.